0: Well good morning all. With that synchronized commencement we are ready to start the service here today. We're going to sing hymn number 28 is our opening hymn how great thou art. Number 28 is our opening hymn today. Let's all stand to sing together please. into the presence of the Lord today. We're going to read the last few verses in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and verses 1 through 5. And then we'll come to our congregational prayer. So I trust that these words will fix our hearts and minds on the things of heaven, that we will be able to shut out the world for a little while, and that we will hear the Lord speaking to us. Revelation 22, verse 1, "'And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river,' Was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations? And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Let's unite in prayer as we worship the Lord this morning. Our Father in heaven. We thank Thee for this little window into Your presence in glory. We thank Thee that the saints are praising Thee night and day in the land where there is no more curse, where the saints behold the face of God face to face. Lord, may it please Thee to come and minister to us And grant us a little of heaven in our souls as we spend this time in thy house. We thank thee that we have the light of thy word. We have the promised help of God the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has promised to send unto us. And the Lord Jesus has promised that he would give us another comforter who would abide with us. We ask Thee to minister to our waiting hearts this morning. Cleanse us from all sin. Apply the blood, that fresh, crimson blood that flows from the wounds of the Lamb now seated upon the throne. We thank Thee that it is therefore a throne of mercy to us. It is the ground of grace and of loving kindness. And we come seeking thy favor and pray that you will indeed bless us abundantly in the very depths of our own hearts. Look beyond the Sunday clothes. Look into our hearts, O Lord, and see the the great need of reviving and restoring and of joy and gladness in the Lord. We pray that you will give that to every brother and sister here today. There is so much in this world to discourage, but we thank Thee that we come to the God who is never discouraged, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, whose purposes and plans are eternal, who works by decrees, who builds and shall feel not. We ask that Thou will build us up in our most holy faith today. Deliver us from unbelief and doubt. Deliver us from a spirit of fear. And grant that Thou wilt grant to every soul in this meeting place that very assurance. It is well with my soul. I am right with God. I stand in the righteousness of Christ. I am born of the Spirit. I'm not my own. I belong to the Lord. And oh, therefore, we would come to serve Thee and to glorify Thee with all that we do. Bless the children in our midst today. We thank Thee for them. Bless every home and family. Bless each heart. Bless our webcast viewers. Grant that from their homes that they might also enter into a, a true spirit of worship, where they will catch the flame of the fullness of the Spirit. And we pray that you'll remember those not with us, those that are traveling, we pray for the Reverend and Mrs. Saunders, bring them back again and bless them in their travels and in their ministry in the days to come. We pray for all in this congregation, for every home and family, that they will be under the loving care of the Good Shepherd, the one who gave himself for sheep, the one who cares, the one who understands. And so, Lord, come and bless us today. Just grant us that you'll touch us in the depths of our souls. In our Savior's name, amen. Amen. Our next hymn is number 134. 134. Hark, the voice of love and mercy sounds aloud from Calvary. One. 34 we're going to stand as we sing together And we're turning to the first book of the Bible now, to Genesis 22. So we've gone from Revelation 22 to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read from verse 1, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 18. So I trust you'll follow along as we read the Lord's Word together. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham? And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now my son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abram rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and cleaved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abram lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abram took the word of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abram his father and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And They came to the place where God had told them of, and Abram built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son. Thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abram called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abram out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Amen. May the Lord in his grace bless his word to your heart this morning. I'm going to call Mr. McAnally to come and uh, bring us the announcements this morning, the welcome, whatever else needs to be said. He's the man to, to know it all.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's House today. It's good to see you all here. A good turnout in the Lord's House this morning. We welcome everyone in person and those welcoming, welcome those who are watching online today. I understand that we have the Beja family with us today from a local area. Their son will be attending Whitfield, Lord willing, in September, so we welcome you folks today. And others who are gathered in, whose name I don't have, you are very welcome today in the Lord's house. Now, I understand, too, that we have the Berean Free Presbyterian Church. They are watching online today, so we welcome you folks all the way from Boston, New York. That's the Reverend Phil Owen's church. The Reverend Owen and his wife, they are away on a trip celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. So we congratulate them on that milestone. But of course, we do welcome the congregation joining in with us today. Of course, we want to welcome Reverend and Mrs. Gollaher today with us. As you know, our pastor and Mrs. Saunders are away in Northern Ireland. So we're always happy to have Reverend Gallagher here with us. Since his retirement from Cloverdale in British Columbia, we have been blessed here in Toronto as they have just moved here up the road in Barrie, not too far away, and so he's been called upon many a time since he's moved here, and we appreciate his ministry, and we know that when a pastor retires from a pastorate, from a church, they never actually retire from the Lord's ministry, and so there's plenty of things for him to do. (laughs) Why not, he says. Well, the Lord's not done yet with you, brother, so... And so for those visiting today, Reverend Goller has retired from uh, the pastorate there in uh, Cloverdale, British Columbia, but yet he has many things to do. He looks after our Let the Bible Speak radio ministry that goes across Canada. He's also the interim moderator for Calgary, Free Presbyterian Church at the minute, as they are looking for a man to fill the pulpit there. And he is also the deputy moderator of our presbytery. So this man is far from retired, and so we're thankful that he's here today with us. The announcements then for the rest of the day are quite simple. At 5.50 we have our pre-service prayer time and we encourage everyone if you're able to come a little bit earlier before the evening service at 5.50 we'll meet out in the fellowship room out to the side for time of prayer before the evening service and then at 6.30 our evening service once again and we'll be happy to have Reverend Goller here with us this evening. After the see the service tonight there will be a choir practice for the youth so all youth if you remember that after this service tonight just come meet around the piano for a choir practice Wednesday Wednesday at 7:30 we continue on with our bible study and prayer time and we look forward to having elder George Robinson come and bring the message on Wednesday evening On Thursday Reverend Saunders and his wife Jill they fly home here to Canada once again, and we trust they've had a good time away, but we look forward to having them back on Thursday. And as well, I believe the Schultz family will be arriving on Thursday as well, so we look forward to seeing them next Lord's Day. Also next Lord's Day, we'll be having the second of the three children's uh, church times. We've, I know we've had a pause on Sunday school for the summer, but yet we've set aside three Lord's Days to have the special uh, Children's Church, and next Lord's Day at 11.30, the children will be able to go down and have a lesson down in the basement. Also, next Lord's Day, after the evening service, there will be a fellowship time. Team 3, you are on duty, so we look forward to fellowship after the evening service next Lord's Day. Advanced, advanced announcement, the Youth Conference is coming up quite quickly. That is August the 2nd to the 6th with Reverend Andrew Simpson, And we would ask those who will be attending, young people, you've received an email this week uh, for you to fill out a form there and to return back to us. So please do that as soon as possible. And we would ask the congregation again if you are able to accommodate. We have three men that need accommodation for the conference. And so if you are able to host at least one or two or maybe even all three, please speak to me after the evening or after the service today. Uh, you do not have to feed them. We will look after that. You simply provide accommodation for them. You do not have to entertain them at all, but just simply give them a bed to sleep in. We'd appreciate that. want to remember Anna Tan this morning. She, Anna, this past week, had a fall, and she broke her hip. Uh, it was actually last Lord's Day. She had a fall, and then she had surgery through on Monday. And so now she is in Scarborough Centenary Hospital, recovering there. So please remember Anna at this time. And her family, as you know, her husband is not well, and so it's up to her son at the minute to look after him. So please be in prayer for our sister Anna as she is recovering in hospital. Of course, we continue for Isabel and Ted as well, as Isabel is recovering from her hip surgery. And so please remember these folks in your prayers. An item of praise, we thank the Lord for answering prayer regarding the Delina family. And Our sister Rowanna, she received her temporary work permit and residency permit this past week. And so after much prayer, the Lord has granted that. And so we look and praise him for that next step forward in their immigration status here. And so we give the Lord all the praise. Big smiles here this morning. Very good. I believe those are all the announcements uh, for the time. We'll just hand the services back to Reverend Gallagher. Thank
0: you, Brother. Thank you. I just like the way he said that we're from up the road there. Uh, Drop in, come and visit. You don't have to tell us you're coming, just knock the door and drop in, and my wife will always be glad to look out and say, who is that? She's come to visit us today. From up the road, always glad to come and help and to stand in as needed here, and we trust that the Saunders have had a blessed time of vacation and strengthened to get back into the ministry of God's Word again. I trust you'll be with us this evening and that the Lord will help us today in the ministry of His Word. We're going to turn to the hymn number 140, 140, Alas and did my Savior bleed. And again we'll stand to sing please. stand to pray just for a moment, please. Father in heaven, we come to the very center point of our worship time, where we endeavor to glean from the sacred pages of truth. We thank Thee that Thou hast given us this ministry of the Word, the ministry of God's breathed Word, that we might receive grace, that we might be nourished in our faith, that we might be equipped to stand in an evil day for Thee. And we pray that that Word will be a a saving Word to sinners, and it will be a sanctifying Word to the saints. We pray that Your will be done in each heart. And may that barrier, that rebellious attitude be broken down, and may there be that work of the potter, molding and fashioning the clay to change us into that man, woman, young person you'd have us to be. Oh, Lord, work your will in every one of us now, and help in this pulpit, Lord. Come down Give grace and power, I pray. In the Savior's great name I ask. Amen. Could you imagine taking one of your most precious children... And dropping them from the very top of the CN Tower. And to do it premeditatedly, with purpose and intention. And you take that child to the bottom of the tower, you look for an elevator or the stairwell. And you climb the 1,776 steps to the top. And every step you take, I must do this. I must do this. Until breathlessly you get out into the open deck and you dare to go through with destroying your child. Why? That has to be the big question. Why? Did you notice as we read Genesis chapter 22 that Abram never asked why when God called on him to sacrifice his only and beloved son Isaac. Now, this was a severe test of Abram's obedience. Isaac was his miracle son of his old age. He was his only son, his well-beloved son. And yet he's the one that Abram was to take to the mountaintop and there to slay him as a sacrifice unto God. Now, Abram, as we know, passed the test, and he went willingly. He went speedily. And with purpose and intention, he climbed that mountain with wood and fire and knife to go through what God had requested of him. We're told that he rose early the next morning. There was no hesitation or even a hint of hesitation. We're told in verse 3 that he saddled his ass. He worked diligently to prepare for this trip to the mountaintop where God would show him where he must sacrifice his son. He got two of his servants to go along, and for three days they traveled. Prepared the wood, stripped it, bundled it, carried it, until he came to the foot of the the mount of the appointed place. And that mountain, we are told in verse 2, was Moriah. And after three days, Abram saw the place afar off. He deliberately left his young men at the foot of the mountain, We can think of why. He took his son, he took the wood, he took the fire, and he took the knife. He went that mountaintop. We're told that they went, both of them together. There was harmony. There was no discord. There was no resistance as they climbed the mountain. No doubt Isaac had a question. He said, my father, we see the wood, we see the fire, but where is the lamb for a sacrifice? And Abram answered, and this is perhaps the most significant line in the whole story. God will provide himself a lamb. Verse 8, they went both of them together. They arrived at the top of the divinely appointed mountaintop. And Abram began to build the altar with stones, laid the wood upon it. And then he got out the cords and he began to run around Isaac, laid him on the altar, and tied him to it. No hesitation, no half measure no looking behind for a way out. Abram went through in full obedience with what God had asked him to do. And as Abram took the knife, God cried out to Abram, and if I may paraphrase it, Abram, don't do it! And then God showed him a ram caught in the thicket behind him. And Isaac was taken off the altar. The ram was led on and sacrificed. We're told in verse 13, and another very, very specific statement, in the stead of his son. Now, this is a prophetic word about Calvary. There are so many parallels. The Mount Moriah, that's the place where Solomon built the temple. It was in that very area that Jerusalem was built, and where they led our Lord Jesus out of the city to Golgotha, to Calvary, And so, there is this parallel in the place. In this event, Abram figures more prominently than Isaac. He's the one that God spoke to. He's the one who had the challenge and was to be obedient. He's the one that was sacrificing his own son. And the focus, the limelight is on Abraham, the father, And that's because your redemption and your salvation by the sacrifice of God's Son was from all eternity the plan of God. Abram lived about 2,000 after creation and 2,000 years before Christ came. And so this amazing parallel. This inspired not only wording in the record, but the event is all of God to reveal that when our Lord Jesus went to Calvary, it was no plan of the hour. It was God's eternal decree and purpose in full action. The gospel is God's plan. And that's what I want you to learn today. It's the wonderful, amazing plan of God. God originated the plan of the cross. If you go to verse 1 in Genesis 22, you will see that God did tempt Abraham. Now, of all the concerns we have with the word tempt, we know that God tempts no man to sin. What it means here is that God was testing Abraham. And but it was God who was the initiator. It was God who spoke from heaven. Abram had no such intention or no such thoughts. By the way, the word tempt in the Hebrew language is the word Nasah. And if you were to ask me to go up on a NASA rocket spaceship, that would be testing me. So here's a good memory aid here. The Hebrew word for tempt is NASA. And God was proving Abraham, do you love me above the very dearest one you have in your life? Now, the Bible, of course, tells us everywhere that God planned the cross from before the foundation of the world. Never let anyone tell you that Calvary really was a a plan B effort, that it was really the weevil schemes of men, or it was due to the weakness of the Lord Jesus, that He could not uh, flee and escape the cross, that it was some mere coincidence. All of this was from eternity— the very purpose of God. And when our Lord Jesus was on that cross, it was God's plan to reconcile the world unto Himself. That's the language of the New Testament. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. It was something that God wanted to do, Did you know that God wants sinners in heaven? God never sent His Son to destroy us all. He sent His Son that they might be saved. They might be liberated from the curse, the guilt, the condemnation of sin. And by the death, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, they would be brought and reconciled unto God. And so this is God's way of saving sinners. Do you believe that? If you really believe that, and if you are today trusting in God's way of reconciling a sinner to himself, then you're saved. You are freed from all the condemnation of sins and you have a wonderful hope of heaven and eternal life. But if you doubt it, if you question it, if you say that what happened at Calvary was, well, so fraught with human interventions, surely it was the the murderous schemes of men, or Herod, or Pilate in his treachery, behind it all was the gracious, providential purpose of God who sent His Son. He is at the center of God's plan. That brings me to point two. If you look at verse two in Genesis 22, you will see here take now thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. We see here that Isaac was to be at the very center of the test. It was to be the hardest thing that Abraham would ever be called to do. His own son. Now, Abraham's a hundred years old. He's well over a hundred years old. He was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. He's a teenager now, at least. And what hopes and dreams, what future led in Isaac to Abram, and the idea of, with his own hand, taking his life, slaying him with a knife as a sacrifice. But it was Isaac. His only Son. And God's plan of saving sinners, reconciling you to Himself, is all centered in His Son. His only Son. His well-beloved Son. There is no blessing, no mercy, no forgiveness for sinners outside of God's Son. Christ is central to it all. He is the mediator of the covenant. He is the door to heaven. He's the only way to the Father. And all God does to save sinners is filtered through His own Son. So we can say, if I have Jesus and Jesus only, then I am blessed. Why would you object to God's plan of sending His Son and giving every spiritual gift through His Son? This was what the apostles preached. They stood in the days of Acts, and they said, There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Or in Romans eight thirty nine. Those final two little words, the love of God, which is in Christ, in Christ. Everything that God has for a sinner's soul is in Christ. Now, you need to be in Christ to enjoy all those blessings, and you will. You need to be united to the Son. What do you think of this plan? Are you sitting there scoffing and scoffing and mocking such an idea? The world does that. There's multitudes around us. They have no time for the doctrine of God's redemption by the blood of the cross. They count it foolishness, Paul says. Why? so clearly revealed in the Bible. And so, I beg you, don't miss to bow your knee to the wonderful plan of God. Don't spurn it. It's right from the heart of a good God who has a plan of mercy to save souls. And you can be saved today. You can enter into this plan of God. And you, can be sure of eternal life through the Son. All God has planned is centered in the Son. Now, the next thing I see in this parallel, Genesis 22, is that God and the Son fully cooperated in the Father's plan. I want you to notice in verse 3 that it says, "...and Isaac..." his son. Abram rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of the young men with him, and Isaac, his son. And then in verse 6, you have that remarkable statement at the end of the verse, and they went, both of them, together. That speaks of harmony. That speaks of unity, That speaks that they were in one in purpose. And the father said, I'm going to the mountain to sacrifice. Isaac says, I'm coming too. I don't think he yet understood where the sacrifice would come from. But there was unity. And then you'll notice in verse 8 that that same statement... It's significant because it's repeated. Verse 8 at the end. So, after all of these details, all of the questions, all of the conversation between Isaac and his father, and Abram said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Isaac was satisfied with that. So, they went both of them together, and then verse nine they came to the place which God had told them of from Abram built an altar and led the wood in order and bound Isaac his son. Did you ever try to bind a teenager a young man which would be athletic and strong and fighting fit don't quickly get entangled with a uh, a bulky teenager, you might lose one of the great dreams that our four sons had is that they would be taller than their father. That was no high dream, was it that was no That was not too much to ask, and they all achieved it, and there were years that I was quite willing to take one on. Or two, or even four of them. But then I started to get smart. Let's not do this anymore. For an elderly father, well over a hundred years old, to bind his son, it took the voluntary willingness of the son. And from this narrative, from this record, there was no resistance. There was no struggle. And this is a perfect parallel with our Lord Jesus coming into the world to do the will of the Father. And voluntarily, indeed excitedly, with joy, the cross was set before him that he might be the Savior and sacrifice of his people. Now, our Lord Jesus coming into this world, he knew the hour of his death, and he set himself to go to the cross. When he was questioned by Pilate, he remained silent, not to be obstinate, but that the will of God might be done. He wasn't there to argue his way out of it, he was there to be led as a lamb to the slaughter. He could have called the angels to set him free. He could have pulled the nails and the cross. But there he hung by a, an amazing offering in the will of the Father going through with God's plan. I must suffer. That was Jesus' attitude. I must suffer and die. And there, beyond the actions of men, and I have to explain this, and I want to take a couple of minutes to explain this, beyond the actions of Roman soldiers Beyond the blood loss due to the nails in his hands and feet, beyond the crown of thorns crushing his head, beyond the mockery and the scorn of the crowds around him and the shame, before the Roman soldier came to break the legs of the victims on the cross, our Lord Jesus was already dead. So soon, the others were yet to die. Their legs needed to be broken that they might die more speedily. You see, our Lord Jesus did not die as the result of man's inflicting wounds. The Bible tells us he offered up himself as a sacrifice to the Father. He exerted his own power to yield his life and offering to God. And the only cords that were needed were the Trinitarian bonds of a father's love and purpose that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Even you, if you believe today. Even you, if you will come today. Now, do you believe and rest in this? It's not enough to just know about it. It's not enough to even be able to tell others about it. The question is, do you rest your soul in the plan of God Centered in His Son. And in that voluntary offering up of Himself as your sacrifice to be your Savior. That's a Christian's faith. That's saving faith. I trust that you have that strong root of faith as an anchor to your soul today. Whatever else may be going on in your life, this is your gospel. This is your faith. Now, the next thing we learn from this parallel in Genesis 22 is that God was willing to slay His own son. Remember that God was testing Abram, He was testing his love. He was testing his obedience. And God led him to the very point where Abram was within a second of slaying his own son with that knife gleaming in the sun, ready to plunge it into his heart. And he said, Abram, Abram, now I know. And the whole thing was a test. Now, there's something else to notice here, that this this spirit that was in Abram, this readiness to do it. And I drew that little picture of going up the CN Tower with your most precious child, with, with this intention of destroying your child. Why? Why did Abram do it? He didn't question. And it says here... And (coughs) verse 5. Let's just read verse 5. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now either that was a lie or it was faith which do you think was abram trying to just pan off those servants hiding them from the thing that he was going to do willing to lie to them or was there something that abram believed in that god was going to vindicate the whole thing well let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17 because this is such a big issue it's such a big question we really need the bible's answer on it not just my answer but the bible's answer on it and here in Hebrews 11:17 it says by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten Son. Now you'll notice, God took the will for the deed. In the mind of God, Abram was ready to do it and would have done it. He took the will for the deed. Of whom it is said, In Isaac shall thy seed be called. According that God, this is verse 19 now, in Hebrews 11... According that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. It was drama, it was a choreographed event, paralleling what God would do with his own son. And God was willing to slay His Son, make Him a sacrifice for our sins, because God was also going to raise Him up on the third day. And He did it. And He did it. And so this whole event was a test for Abram. It was not a test to God. God was not tested, but God fulfilled His promise and His plan. I want you to see the doctrine of substitution here. Let's go to verse 13 in chapter 22. We're working our way down the page here, and you'll see in verse 13 that Abram lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering. And here are the words, in the stead of his son, in the place of his son. And there is the precedent of God permitting a substitute, one to step into the place of another. And of course, in Isaac's case, This sheep, this ram that was caught in the thicket, by both horns, may I say, in a thicket, in a woody shrub area, and the poor beast couldn't free itself. And Abram could only go there and lay his hands on it, and in the stead of Isaac, in the place of Isaac, he sacrificed that sheep. In God's plan, there is substitution. God not only planned it, but he provided the substitute. That's the story here. That's the story of Calvary. Now, this idea of substitution was not really new in the world. The Romans and the Greeks thought that their pagan gods demanded human sacrifices to be appeased. And so they would sacrifice their servants. They would sacrifice their sons. That was pagan religion. And so someone might ask, well, what's the difference now with Christianity? What's the difference? Well, the difference in the Old Testament story is he said to Abram, don't do it. And the other difference is that when God demands a substitute or a sacrifice, He provided His own Son. That's not a God of gore and of torment, that's a God of grace. He not only planned a substitutionary offering to pro- to permit it but he provided it and that's the wonderful message of the gospel now do you see the love of god in this do you see the nature of god in this Do you see the kindness, the great big-heartedness of the God of heaven whom we worship and serve, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who from eternity planned a way of saving our souls by sending His Son to take our place? This is the genius of the gospel, and you and I must lay hold upon it with delight. And we do. This is the joy of the gospel. Another took my punishment. He stood in my place. He took my beating. My sins were laid in Him, and all His perfect works are upon me. This is the wonder of the gospel, and it's a thrill to preach it. Another point of parallel, God blesses us through the plan of the cross. If you look at verse 16 in Genesis 22, it says, And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And because of that act of obedience, because of his willingness to sacrifice even his only son, God now showered upon Abraham blessings generation after generation until the world will be filled with his offspring. Now, at Calvary, when God slew his Son and our Lord Jesus obeyed the will of the Father, we are told that by one man's obedience— shall many be made righteous. And that obedience of the Lord Jesus to the Father has produced a perfect life, a perfect righteousness. It is the grounds of our faith for all eternity. And so to you and to me, every blessing comes to us from Calvary. Every day we enjoy Calvary blessings. Every fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and every other fruit, they come from Calvary. They were bought by the blood of Jesus. And we are a blessed people because of that amazing plan of God. Now, this gospel of substitution is at the heart of the gospel. It was masterminded by God Himself, and it was provided by God Himself. And God is calling you, just as He did to Abraham, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Isaac doesn't need to die, nor do you wages of sin is death. Yes, the law condemns. Yes, the judgment day will be strict. Yes, but there is a way, a plan of salvation for your soul, and by substitution you are saved. This is what Is at the heart of gospel preaching. I wouldn't cross the street to go to a church that denies substitution. I wouldn't put one cent in the offering of a church that never preaches the gospel of substitution. There's people who say Jesus died as a martyr, he died as a model, he died to motivate. The gospel is Christ died. That's history. Christ died for us. That's the gospel of substitution. Take it to heart, and don't tell me that you're going to heaven until you've gone to the cross by faith to take the sacrifice of Christ that was made on your behalf. No cross, no crown. No blood, no blessing, no sacrifice, no salvation, no suffering unto death for us, no eternal life for us. Do you get that? Did it sink in? Please don't go home saying, I have no idea what that preacher was saying praise God, we're saved by a substitutionary atoning sacrifice, washed in the blood and sure of heaven. May each one here today have that testimony. Let's unite in prayer, please. O God, our Father, we ask Thee to minister on this word of the gospel to each heart. We pray that this will be food to feast upon, food to pray upon, food to stand strong in an unbelieving world, food that we might be equipped as evangelists to tell the world the good news of a Savior who took our place and died in our stead at the cross. We ask Thee to convict of sin, to open eyes, to see and rejoice in the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves in this plan and purpose of God. We ask Thee, Father, to work Your eternal purpose, to build Your church, and gather in Your people. Oh, bless us now for Jesus' sake. Amen. Might I say, if there's someone here today and you're not saved, I'd be delighted to take the time and talk with you. Just come and talk to me. And I'm sure there are others here, too, that would be glad to help. May the Lord be gracious and save your soul today. We have a closing hymn. It's number 148. Oh, teach me... What it meaneth, that cross uplifted high, 148. Oh, teach me what it meaneth, that cross uplifted high, with one, the man of sorrows, condemned to bleed and die. May we sing just verse 1 and 5 as we stand. 1 and 5. Father, we praise Thee for Your grace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with Your redeemed people now and evermore. Amen.